being a grandparent is one of the greatest things that we can do, but being an example to our kids, whether we're grandparents or not, we all have a calling and a gifting to be able to teach and to train those under us. And I pray that's what you do. And now, here is Mikey. And he is a grand-looking grandparent, right? The only person, don't anybody call me Mikey. The only person that ever called me Mikey was my grandmother. And uh, I wanted to stay that way. <laughs> yeah, she called me Mikey Darling. Yeah, yeah. Neither one of them was right. Uh, praise the Lord. Well, are you glad to be in the house of God this morning? We're, we're glad for our visitors. You're only a visitor here once. Once you come, we just welcome you in. We count you a part of us after that. So thank you so much for being here. And uh, some of you have come from uh, good distances to be in service with us today. And we're, we're so glad you're here. And uh, we, we recognize your your effort to be with us. God bless you. Take your Bibles and uh, let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 21. And some preachers don't uh, let anything affect their preaching schedule. If they've got something scheduled uh, to preach, they're going to preach it. But uh, I like special days. And the older I get, I like to... Uh, I like to commemorate special days, and uh, I believe they can be opportunities for the Holy Spirit to really speak something into our into our lives. And uh, today, I want to uh, preach a grandparents' message, okay, on Grandparents' Day, entitled "An Old Disciple." And most of us are adverse to the word "old." But uh, nevertheless, uh, the Bible interjects this word in uh, this passage of Scripture. Acts 21, if you'll turn there, Acts 21, and we'll, we'll just read uh, two verses of Scripture, verses 15 and 16. Now let me give you a little background here. Paul is uh, making his way to Jerusalem from uh, his third missionary journey. Uh, if you're a student of Paul's life, you understand that he went on three different uh, particular missionary outreaches during his almost uh, 25 to 30 years of gospel ministry. And here he's coming to the conclusion of his third and final missionary journey. And uh, it's recorded here in Acts chapter 21. The remainder of the book of Acts is uh, the uh, travels of Paul from Jerusalem to Rome where he would be imprisoned and eventually martyred for the cause of Christ. But uh, here uh, the scripture gives us the introduction of his coming into Jerusalem after the completion of this final missionary journey. 
Let's look at verse 15 and 16. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea, and brought with them one Nason of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. Father, we just ask you this morning to speak to every heart in this room. Lord, make an impact by your Holy Spirit in our lives. Change us forever. Help us to be better servants, followers of Jesus Christ. Touch hearts today that are away from you. Lord, I pray you'll draw men and women to the precious bleeding side of our Savior. Touch their hearts and may they submit to the Lordship of Jesus. And we give you thanks and praise for touching every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 15, we are introduced to a man named Nason. In fact, we are introduced to him apparently at the same time as the Apostle Paul was introduced to him. And after this introduction, we never hear from him again. Whenever the Bible does this, it stimulates the imagination like few other things in God's Word can do. What a strange fate it is to be made immortal by a single line in the greatest book ever written. Someday, when this world as we know is finished, several of the saints of God will be walking around glory, and they will be introduced once again to this man, Nason. And immediately every single one of them will recall this passage of Scripture shrouded in mystery in Acts 21, verses 15 and 16. How many Nasons have you met thus far in your life? How many Nasons do you think that we'll ever meet in a single eternity? The truth of the matter is there are a lot of unknown people in God's kingdom. Unknown to this world and unknown to maybe a large population of the church. But I just want you to know, if you're a child of God this morning, whether you ever have anything written about your name, whether you ever have anything published about your name, whether many people know who you are, there is a God in heaven who loves you, who knows your name, and loves you so much that he recorded it in his Lamb's Book of Life. And I want you to rejoice in that this morning. Hallelujah. Here in Acts 21, this man is outlined in a hard lead pencil. And we can barely see the contour of his features. But if we study them long enough, we can begin to see some admirable qualities in this man's life. Nason's name and birthplace show us that he belonged to the same class of people as Paul. He was an Hellenist, that is a Greek Jew, a Jew by descent, but born on Gentile soil, 
and he primarily spoke Greek. He came from the island of Cyprus where Barnabas, Paul's co-laborer, also came from. That in itself makes us wonder if those two were not friends even still on the day that Mason met and embraced Paul. We are told that this man was an old disciple. Everybody say an old disciple. That is not, that is not a derogatory term. I think it is a term of endearment and a term of honor to say that someone has endured and weathered the storms of time and change and challenge and have been a faithful follower of Jesus Christ through it all. Thank God for all disciples. There is the obvious that is meant that he was now an elderly man, which is most possible. But the Greek could also mean, and probably does mean, that Mason had been a disciple for a very long time. It could have been that this man had met Christ in the flesh 30 years earlier and had been drawn to him by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It was very possible that Mason had sat and listened to Jesus teach those great crowds and throngs of people that we read about in the Gospels. It was very possible and probably was true that Mason was converted during the ministry of Jesus. Uh, he was there for Calvary. He was there for the resurrection. He was there for the ascension. He was there on the day of Pentecost. He was a person who had experienced the glorious dynamics of the beginning church. Thank God forever for those who have experienced the promises of God. I am telling you this morning, I am a product. I am a product of a family who had relationship with Jesus. I am not a first generation Christian. I am a several generation Christian. I want you to know that my family grew up in the church. They experienced Jesus and they taught me about Jesus from a small child. And I want you to know from one generation to another generation, they have done their job well. They have passed on the baton of faith and we have carried it now and we're passing it on to two more generations. Generations, thank God, in our family, and they're serving Jesus this morning. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you, it is a privilege to be an old disciple. It is a privilege to be a child of God. It is a privilege to be able to pass on the great truth of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of fellowship with Jesus. Glory to God forevermore. About to preach myself happy. Some of you wouldn't get excited if Jesus were to appear in here in person. What's he doing here? That'd be your question. Nason, his name means diligent seeker. As I mentioned, he was probably converted during the ministry of Jesus himself, and was there for all of those powerful outpourings and visitations of the Spirit of God. I want to 
this morning use four words to describe this old disciple, Nason. Number one, endurance. Everybody say endurance. He is described as an old disciple, but the word old is, is really better understood an original Christ follower. He was one of the charter members of the Church of Jesus Christ. He was probably there on the day of Pentecost when the official church was born in the power of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about an original Christian, an original follower of Jesus. As a matter of fact, when Nason was converted, nobody was called Christian at that time. Don't look at me like that. People who followed Jesus at that time were called followers of the way. Do you remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It stuck. And many people in the original church, in the first generation and first day church, were called followers of the way. And for many years, they were associated with that title until in Antioch, that, which is uh, outside of Syria, Damascus, uh, they, the Christians there, the followers of Jesus, were first called Christians. But that was several years after the beginning of the church. Christian nowadays is still a good term. It's still viable. It means like Christ or Christ-like. It actually is little, little Christ is what it is, is actually translated. But it, 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 it is simply a word that describes someone who is mimicking, imitating, trying their best to live their life like Christ. However, the cultural, excuse me, the cultural connotations of the word Christian have taken on a lot of different undertones. And there are all kinds of Christians now. There are red-hot, on-fire, spirit-filled Christians who are serving Jesus and holding the Bible. There are those who uh, now are Christians, but they're worldly Christians. They really have embraced the culture of the day and the hour and anything goes and they interpret this. I, 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 I uh, read an article the other day and it was, it was by a, uh, uh, a new generation, neo-generational pastor and, and not Assembly of God, please know this, uh, not associated with any spirit-filled movement at all, matter of fact, but uh, he was writing an article in a secular magazine, and he, he simply made the statement that the Bible is outdated and outmoded, and as a Christian nowadays... We need to adapt the Bible to fit into our lifestyle. 
Now, that's what I'm talking about. He claims to be a Christian pastor. Well, everybody knows anything about the Word of God, knows that God's Word, Genesis to Revelation, is forever settled in the heavens, and it doesn't change. Elephants will roost in trees before the truth of God changes. It doesn't matter what our culture says about a sin. It doesn't matter what our culture says about a certain kind of lifestyle, whether they put their stamp of approval upon it or not. That's the whole issue. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and I will receive you as a son and a daughter. Friend, hear me. There is nothing and never has been uh, in the Word of God that allows us as followers of Christ to stay in the world system. We are called to come out of it and be separate. We are called to be followers of Jesus. And if Jesus didn't say it or do it, I'm just telling you, we need not to say it or do it. And so, we, we're living in a day and an hour where, where original Christianity has come under attack. And so I really like to use the term and phrase anymore. Christian is okay. I, I, I don't have a problem with it. And I'm not saying you're a bad person if you say Christian. I say Christian still. But I try my best to say Christ follower. I want to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ. So many people nowadays use the term Christian and they abuse it. It is lost. It's salty reminder of the life of Christ. Endurance is the word that comes to mind when I think about Nason being an old disciple. He had started this race in the very beginning of the preaching of the gospel and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I want to say something to you this morning. Starting is so important. If you don't begin the race, you for sure can't finish the race. If you're not in the race, you'll never be able to run the race. So somewhere along the line, you've got to get in the race. Now don't depend on mama to run the race for you. Don't depend upon grandma to run the race for you. They're doing good. Mama's running the race. Uh, grandma's in the race. Uh, maybe grandma's even finished. Great grandma for sure has finished the race. But I'm here to tell you, friend, don't depend on somebody else uh, to get you in the race. Uh, you've got to decide you're going to start for Jesus. Uh, and the Bible says the way you do that is you repent of your sin and you come to Christ and say, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Lord Jesus, come into my life and save me and change me and live your life in me and through me. And until the day I die and draw my final breath, I mean to live for you, Jesus. Now, that's starting the race. That is starting the race. Friends, starting, albeit so important, the issue is finishing that same race. Jesus told a parable about a, a guy who went out to build a tower. And as he built the tower, he got halfway through the process and he ran out of money 
and he ran out of building materials. And there was this half-finished tower, a monument to his lack of planning, a monument to his lack of ability to finish what he had started. And Jesus said, people will walk by that half-finished tower and they will say, oh, what a foolish man. He did not first sit down and count the cost before he began building this tower. Hear me today. Starting is so important. But let me tell you, when you start, you need to make up your mind, I'm going to finish this race. I'm going to run it all the way to the finish line. I heard a story about a track team in high school. And uh, one of their their long-distance runners came down sick the day of the meet. And so the coach wanted a participant in every activity, in every race, and in every event. And so in the 1600 meter, which is a long-distance race, if any of you have ever ran that, you understand that's a long race, and it's also kind of a, a fast-paced race at the same time. you got to be in great shape, and you have got to practice to run a 1600 meter. And, and so this guy, he, he, he was sick, and he didn't get to run. But the coach, coach wanted somebody in every event, and this fellow volunteered. And so the, the race began, and, and uh, it, they, they began to circle the track, and here they come, people are finishing. And uh, they, they, the, the, the guy that won uh, had uh, uh, set a new record, broke the record for that, that track meet and, and for that event. And, and, and people were finishing, and then they were beginning to set up the track for the, uh, the hurdles, the next event on, on the track. And about the time they were setting the hurdles up, here comes this real big muscular fellow uh, just trudging along, and he falls across the finish line uh, gasping for air. And they said, listen, what in the world's going on? Have you ever been there? He's trying to tell him. he said, look, the guy that was supposed to run this race got sick today and our coach wanted somebody in every event and so I volunteered. But I'm not a runner, I'm a shot putter. Well, why didn't you just drop out? And when you saw everybody had finished, why, why didn't you just quit? He said, listen, I told my coach I would run this race and I meant to run this race and I'm gonna finish this race. And I'm telling you today, friend, you may not be qualified to run this race. You may not be a long-distance runner, but I'm telling you sometimes it doesn't matter whether you come in first, second, third, or if you come in last place, the idea is to finish. He that runs this race, run it so as to obtain a crown incorruptible. Don't give up. You may not be the fastest car on the street. You may not be the best-looking vehicle running down the road, but I'm here to tell you, if you'll just keep running this race, the day will come when you'll hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Endurance. Endurance demands determination. Fight the good fight of faith. Can you imagine 
Mason had been a Christian now for probably 30 years. And he had come into that period of time of, of Nero's persecution. And he's embracing the Apostle Paul, who was constantly in trouble because of the preaching of the gospel. I'm telling you, friend, he faced adversity and problems of every sort and kind in his 30 years of following Jesus Christ. Back then, it wasn't popular to be a Christian. Back then, the road wasn't easy. Back then, everything was uphill. Back then, the whole community was set against you. Back then, if you named the name of Jesus, you were immediately an outcast. But I'm telling you, we're living in a generation and a day and an hour that has begun to mimic that same kind of controversy. And if we're going to be faithful to Jesus, if we're going to be old disciples, if we're going to finish the line. It demands us uh, to be determined in our heart. We must fight the good fight of faith. Paul said uh, I have come to the end of my course. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. I have fought a good fight. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give to me at that day. But not to me only but unto all them also who love his appearing. Brother and sister I'm here to tell you today fight the good fight of faith serve the Lord with all of your heart put on the whole armor of God equip yourself to fight like a good soldier of Jesus Christ overcome the dreaded trilogy of trouble people, places and problems did you know people, places and problems are what derail everybody but if we'll keep our faith in Jesus, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. We need courage in uncertain times. Nathan had lived through persecution. He was unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was giving housing to Paul and Luke who were despised by the Jews. 2 Timothy 3 Verse 1-5 through five says, In the last days perilous times shall come, and men shall be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, denying the power thereof from such. Turn away. Listen, society has demonized Christianity. What used to be good is now bad, and what used to be bad is now good. And you being named a Christian is not acceptable to most people in our culture as far as the world is concerned. And if you lift your voice as a gospel preacher to preach against sin, you're a hater, you're a bigot, you're narrow-minded. Well, I'm just here to tell you the Word of God is forever settled in the heavens. Paul told Timothy, he said, preach the Word if it fits. No, that's not what he said. Preach the Word if it's comfortable. That's not what he said. Preach the Word if it doesn't cause any problems. That's not what he said. Preach the Word if it doesn't ruffle any feathers. No, Paul said, preach the Word. Number two, endurance. Number two, experience. Nason had lived for Christ now in every season of his life. It's important for us to appreciate the experience that is vested in the lives of older Christians, older Christ followers. I loved sitting down and talking to uh, 
Brother Beck, uh, 95 years old, and started out as a Methodist preacher and then a spirit-filled Methodist and then a, an Assembly of God preacher. He lived all through every season of life. Uh, God had enabled him. And what a wonderful thing he and many others that I've been privileged to have fellowship with over the years. Older disciples teaching younger disciples. Older disciples imparting knowledge and faith. There is never, let me, let me suggest to you as a young Christian, and especially as a young person, uh, I've done this all my life, and now I've come to the age where it's, it's hard for me to find somebody older than me. It's really not. Let me tell you something. If you're a young person and you want to follow Jesus, make a friendship with an older person. Make a, make a friendship with somebody who you realize is faithful to Jesus and has loved God with all their heart and has walked through the fires and has been faithful to the Lord, been tried, tested, and proven. Make a friend of them. Now don't get hooked up with somebody that's sour and mad and, and, and whiny and, and all that kind of mess. Don't do that. But get, get around somebody that's full of the Holy Ghost and somebody full of faith and somebody that's done it, did it, and got the t-shirt for it. And make a friend out of them. And let them pour into your life. Ask them questions. Talk to them. Have conversations with them. Paul taught Timothy how to be a preacher. Paul taught Timothy how to be a successful pastor. Paul taught Timothy how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Paul imparted an anointing to a younger generation of preachers. And I, I'm here to tell you, older disciples uh, need to teach younger disciples. The church is dying for it today. So many of our young people have no, no uh, spiritual anchor. They have no mooring. They're coming out of broken homes and messed up lives. And they're just coming into the church just uh, li like, uh, like somebody born out of season. But I'm here to tell you, if you as an older disciple will take a young person under your wing, just take time to show them a little attention. Speak into their life. Pray for them. Begin to, to, to cultivate some kind of relationship with them. I'm telling you, it'll bless you and it'll bless them. It'll, they'll bless you and you'll bless them. I'm here to tell you, it will be a reciprocating relationship that will do good in both of your lives. Experience is a valuable resource. My dad taught me how to work when I was a, just a little kid. My dad was a workaholic, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you be a workaholic, but I always had food on my table, and that's because my daddy worked hard. And I appreciate it, and I love him for it. He taught me how to work. I've told you, I wanted a bicycle when I was 10. He brought me a lawnmower. <laughs> he said, mow yards, make your own money, buy your own bicycle. I never had anybody give me a car. 
I had to buy my own cars, had to pay for my own gas, had to pay for my own insurance. Dad said, if you're not, if you're not in college but when you get out of high school, you will pay rent at my house. Well, there's a novel idea. That, wouldn't, that didn't go over very good. I'm not making friends this morning. I'm just telling you the regimen that I grew up under. I'm tough as boot leather. I, I understand what it is to make a poor man's dollar. I, I come from a long line of penny pinchers. Some of my folks, if you gave them a penny and you, you tried to grab it, you'd you turn it into piano wire before they let loose. Experience is a valuable resource. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. What do you mean by that? I've learned some things and I want you to follow me and learn these same things. The best teacher in the world is the teacher called experience. Let me hurry on. There is an Elijah generation that is passing from the scene. And there is an Elisha generation that is coming on the scene. And I want you to see, Elisha is not Elijah. Elijah was not Elisha. They are two separate individuals with their own personalities. But I want you to see something that connected those two generations and those two prophets. It was the same anointing of the Holy Spirit that worked in both of their lives. And I want you to know, friend, we may not do things just the same, and that's okay. Preferences and methodologies and opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. Check and see if you've got one. I pray to God you've got one. Or you may be an original. Everybody's got preferences and opinions and ideas, and those things change with the wind. But I, I want to tell you, the message of Jesus Christ does not change. I tell my young preachers, I tell those guys that are training for ministry, I've done it uh, for these umpteen years now, uh, that way over a hundred guys and gals that we've trained that are in the ministry now, some of them missionaries, some of them pastors, some of them evangelists. Uh, I've told every last one of them, uh, if you're going to be a gospel preacher, fall in love with this book, learn this book, uh, love this book, pray this book, preach this book, live by this it's the rule book it doesn't matter what they say out at Bethel in California it, it, it doesn't matter what they say in Tulsa Oklahoma it doesn't matter what they say in Orlando Florida it doesn't even matter what they say in Springfield Missouri you can tell them I said so thus saith the Lord if you're going to be a preacher love this book Love the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Love the power, the glory, and the grace of God. And I'm telling you, no matter what generation you're in, you may be a Gen Xer, you may be a millennial, or you may be a baby boomer, but I'm telling you, all three generations 
that are that, that are the most prevalent in the earth at this time all three of those generations have one need and that need is Jesus that need is Jesus and let us as the people of God and old disciples this morning decide that we're going to pass an Elijah generation anointing onto an Elisha generation number three endurance experience encouragement I love positive people and positive people for me are not those that say well the cup is half empty or the cup is is half full that's that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about a, a spirit that is always looking up Did you hear what I said I'm talking about someone who is possessed of a promise from Almighty God that has so possessed their lives that they are always looking up. They are not controlled by what's going on below them or around them, in front of them, or behind them. They're only motivated by that upward look. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the majesty of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let me tell you, friend, this morning, I want to be an encourager. I want to tell you, you can make it. I want to tell you, you can make it not because I'm just jolly and friendly and just need something to say. I want to tell you you can make it because somebody came along and put their arm around me and encouraged me and told me that I could make it and I believed them and I went on and I overcame. I'm telling you there are a lot of folks that give up the minute something trouble comes, problems happen, they roll over uh, like, like, like a turtle. On, on, his, on his back. He just roll over. Have you ever seen a turtle on his back? That's the most pitiful, helpless thing you've ever seen. They're there to stay. They've give up. They'll never get away from that. I'm telling you, I want to be a person. I want to be that person who puts his arm around somebody that's going through a tough time and says, you can make it. And I'm telling you, you can make it because I've made it. I've been right there where you are. I've gone through what you've gone through. The Jesus that you were claiming to know is the Jesus that I know. And the Jesus that you know is the Jesus that helped me through it. I've lived beyond this and you can live beyond this. You can go beyond where you are. You can make it. You can make it. You can make it. Somebody needs an encourager. Somebody needs an arm outstretched. Somebody needs a hand that's reaching out. Let us be encouragers this morning. We need to have that spirit like that little frog that fell in a milk churn. It was full of milk. And, 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 and the frog fell into it and, and it was too high to jump out. And so there he was. Two little frogs fell into that churn. And they're just swimming away, swimming away, trying to stay above the milk. One little frog struggled all he could struggle. He gave up and he sank to the bottom. Never to hop again. But there was another frog. He was spirit filled. He was a Holy Ghost frog. 
And he said, you know, I'm just going to keep on, I'm going to keep on turning. I'm going to keep on hopping. I'm just going to keep on swimming. And so he hopped and he swam and he stirred and he hopped and he swam and he stirred and he hopped and he swam and he stirred until he turned that milk into a, a bar of butter and he jumped up on top of the butter and hopped out of the turn. That's the kind of Christian I want to be. That's the kind of believer I want to be. That's what I want to be able to pass on to my son and to my grandson and to my granddaughters. Uh, I want to pass on this idea that Jesus is greater than our trouble and that if we'll be faithful to him, he'll be faithful to us and we can make it. We can make it with God's help. We can make it. Mason provided hospitality to Paul's missions team in, it, in very difficult times. Let me say this to you before we go home. One act of kindness can change a person's life forever. I've discovered that that act of kindness on your part usually will cost you something. And not only will God bless the person that you do the act of kindness to, but God will stretch you and do something in your life that needed to be done. I taught a young lady how to drive a car. She was 21 years old, an introvert of the greatest sort. She mumbled. She didn't talk, she mumbled. You ask her a question and it just, just sat there. She got on my last living nerve. But I was her pastor. And nobody would take time with her. She's 21 years old. She needs to learn how to drive a car. Her mom and daddy wouldn't even take the chance to do it. So Phyllis and I decided, I got Phyllis to go with me. Listen, if I was going, she's going too. So we taught Miss Ruth how to drive a car. And I want you to know, I, it's a wonder I have any hair. The truth is, we ex over a period of a couple of months, God stretched me and made me a better person. And Ruth never forgot what Phyllis and I did for her. And she moved out of where she was and, and, and moved up higher in life. And it's wonderful to see where God has taken her now. And, and, and how just that one little act of kindness of teaching her how to drive, which was a mess. I just won't tell you it was. But that one little act of kindness changed her life. Set her on a different course. There was a young man who was a, an alcoholic at the age of 20 years old. And he came to our church he was living in a, in a home there in Searcy, Arkansas. and He needed a place to go and stay and couldn't anybody take time for him. I had two little kids in my house and Phyllis telling me not to do it all the time. And I wish I'd have listened to her. But I did it. I invited him into our home. And the truth of the matter is this young man gave his heart to Christ. He was a pill. 
He was nasty as dirt. Have you ever seen people like that? He he just he just when he would eat he'd eat when we were gone. We'd fix food and he'd eat all the food. We'd come home think we're gonna have supper. No, he had our supper. And instead of cleaning his dirty dishes up, he'd stick them under his bed. Now I want you to know that'll rub you the wrong way if you let it. But I'm thinking all this time, God, you're doing something in me and Phyllis. This is this is not the way we live. He's just dirty, nasty. He's just a messed up kid. He 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 doesn't change his underwear regularly. That may have been a rhema for somebody. I don't I don't know whether it was or not. It's amazing what God can say in a service. Isn't it? I got a word from God. Change your underwear. They stink. Strong word from God. I'm having a good time. How about y'all? Anybody see? Anyway, we we showed this guy some kindness, and 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 uh, my daughter is so funny. This is so funny. She had a little. She had a, in her bedroom. She had a little uh, kitchen. Y'all seen them? The little metal kitchens. You know that back. Then, this was back in 1979, 80, 81, 82, somewhere like that. Uh, no, 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 no. 85, 85, 85. <sighs> Time flies when you're not having fun, um, and, and she's just a little girl. And 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 the guy that was staying with us, uh, he'd eat up everything in the house. We'd bring groceries home. He he. My daughter loved apples and bananas, and 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 if she didn't get one before he got to them, there wasn't any left. And so my little daughter, she decided I'll fix him up. So she'd take three or four bananas and a couple of apples, and she'd put them in her little kitchenette. In her bed, in her bedroom, to hide him from him. But the point is, he was just as 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 messed up as he could be. Wrong thinking, wrong actions, terrible behavior, no hygiene, and we brought that into our house. And I just want to tell you this: by the grace of God, in six, he stayed with us. He was supposed to stay with us two weeks. He stayed with us two months. But within six months, he was saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, had learned how to brush his teeth, wash his own clothes, keep his room clean, and eventually married one of the girls in our church and became a deacon in that local church. God delivered him from alcohol. God delivered him from alcohol. He said, Pastor, why are you trying to... I'm telling you, one act of kindness can change somebody's life forever. It'll put you out. It'll cost you something. You'll grab and complain about it. But I'm telling you, if you'll be an encourager, God can change people's lives. Christ's anointing is one of encouragement. I can't stand to be around people that grab and complain all the time. Life is more than a gripe and a complaint. Get on the sunny side of the street for God's sake. Stay full of the Holy Ghost and let the joy of the Lord be your strength. If I griped about everything that went wrong in the church, that's all I do is gripe. 
Because nothing ever goes like you want it to. People don't do like you want to. People don't think like you want to. People don't talk like you want to. I'm telling you, if I if I just dwelt on that, I just gripe and complain all the time. But the Bible said that the Lord gives us the ability to minister grace to those that hear us, uh, to speak kindly and to speak loving and forbear one another and put up with each other and walk in grace and mercy. Look at the good and not the bad. And if you'll do that, I'm telling you, God will draw people to you and you'll be able to make a difference in their life for Jesus Christ, an old disciple. And I close. I know I'm a little over, but uh, I made arrangements for you at the local restaurant there holding your place. Number four, an enthusiastic example. I don't want you just to be an example. I want you to be an enthusiastic example. I made up my mind a long time ago. I, I've watched people grow old. And I've watched people grow old gracefully, and I've watched people grow old grumpily. There's only two kinds, either gracefully or grumpily. And I know people go through sorrow and heartache. I've watched people go through it. I've went through it with them. But I'm telling you, that's what Jesus is for. Jesus can take our lemons and make lemonade out of them. Jesus can keep us sweet when nobody else can keep us sweet. Jesus can cause us to be on fire and burn with the brightness and the love and the grace and the glory of his presence when, when everybody else is mad and sad and bad. God can make you glad. Hallelujah! Be an enthusiastic example. A disciple is someone whose love and fervency for Christ is contagious and positive. When people look at you as you follow Jesus, would they want to follow you? If they hung around you for a day, would they would they say, "Boy, I really like I want that Jesus they got." There's an experiment in life there for you to try. I know life is real, and I know everything doesn't come up roses. Believe me, I know that. I've got a zipper in my chest to prove it. Disciples are people who walk after Christ in love and fervency, and they do it in such a way that it is contagious. Live contagiously. Our talk must be confirmed by our walk. Nothing will turn a, a person off any faster than hypocrisy. Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk as dear children of God. Our lives must be salt and light. Matthew 5. A city set on a hill whose light cannot be hid. We must follow the three D's of discipleship. Denial. Death. And discipline. We must deny ourselves. We must crucify our flesh on the cross of Christ. And we must walk in a disciplined way after the teachings of Jesus. If we are enthusiastic about that, there will be people who will want what we have. I have lived around people all my life and a lot of older people all my life. Matter of fact, old people raised me. I grew up in an old folks home practically. 
my grandmother was a nurse in a nursing home, and from the time I was six or seven years old, I went with her just weekly to, to the nursing home and loved on those people and waited on them and took them ice and, and uh, took their food to them and cleaned up their rooms and I, I did all sorts of things and grew up around older people. And that's why I can tell you I'm an expert on gerontology. There's only two kind of old folks, graceful or grumpy. And it's dependent on how you look at life. Is your trouble a curse or is it an opportunity for you to light a candle in the darkness and shine for Jesus? Is your trouble, is your storm something that you should curse or is it an opportunity for Jesus to stand up on the bow of your ship and speak, peace be still? You can live life one of two ways. As an old disciple, you can serve Jesus with joy or you can serve Him in the flesh. I pray this morning, God will help us to be an enthusiastic example to this world. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the Word of God today. Can't believe we got through the message, Jesus. I'm sure you can't either. I know these folks can't. Lord, help us to hear what the Holy Ghost has said to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And we're going to keep you just a few, just a few moments. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. Pastor, I've known the Lord and I'm away from God. Or Pastor, I'm not where I need to be as a Christian. My relationship has been out of kilter with Jesus for a while. And I need to get things right with God. I'm going to ask you to do something right now. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, and please know, I'm not coming to you. I'm not going to make a big parade your way. I'm not going to, I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But if right now you're sincere, Pastor, I want to give my heart to Jesus. Pastor, I want to get right with God. Pastor, I've been away from the Lord and I want to come back home. I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. I want to ask you to do something publicly. Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed to confess me before me, and I'm ashamed to confess you before my Father. So it's a, it's a big deal. If you want to do that right now, if you want to, if you want to say to Jesus, and you really want to make it public. I'm serving the Lord. I want to give my heart to Christ. I want to, I want to get right with God. I want to be that person that starts and finishes well. I want to run this race with patience and I want to keep going. One day they'll call me an old disciple. And if you're here this morning and you want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you just to stand right where you are. I'm going to ask you to come to the front. Just stand right where you are, real quickly. And we're going to pray with you right where you are. Anybody, and stand to your feet. Pastor, I want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. I want to get right with God. I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. Right where you are, just stand, real quickly. How many of you in this room this morning? 
I've preached mainly to an older group of people today. My message has been aimed at we grandparents and older soldiers of the cross. When I ask every person in this room that's 60 years or older, you'd stand this morning and say, Pastor, something you said today in your message touched me. Something you said the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I want to be that old disciple. I want to be that man like Mason. I want to be that woman like Mason. An encourager. An enthusiastic example. A person of endurance and experience. And I want to make a connection with this Elisha generation. I want to, I want to influence in a positive way some young life for Jesus Christ. And you stand to your feet right now. Now I want to ask everybody under 60 years old of age, I want you to go to somebody if you're standing close by. I want you to go to somebody who's standing and I want you just to, to pray with them. Maybe you could pray for two or three of them and, and, and ask, ask the Lord to use them to make a difference in a younger generation. Ask, ask the Holy Spirit to anoint their lives and touch them in such a way and to let them live their lives for Jesus in such a powerful, contagious way that, that a younger generation will be blessed because of them. Would you do that right now? Would you do that right now? Come on. If you're under 60 years old, I, I want you to I want you to go to these who are standing. 60 and olders are standing. And they want to be used of the Lord. They want to be that faithful old disciple. Would you go to them and just pray a blessing over them? Would you ask God to use them? Maybe you'd even say, God, help them to bless me. Help them to speak into my life. Lord, use them. And their example to encourage others in their walk in faith with God. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, this is such a this is such a neat day. We celebrate Grandparents Day across America. And Lord, I thank you for my godly grandparents. Lord, they're the reason I know you. They're the reason that I've walked with you all these years. They lived contagiously in front of me. I caught the Jesus bug from them. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for these folks here this morning over 60. Lord, they still have time, talent, and treasure to use it for God. They still have time, talent, and treasure to invest in an oncoming generation. Lord, they can do something that will encourage others to follow Jesus. Lord, may we be so full of the Holy Spirit that we will be that encourager. Lord, I said it this morning and I pray it will become reality in our lives. One act of kindness can change somebody's life forever. God, help us to do that over and over and over and over again in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for the Holy Spirit to grip our hearts and use our lives for the glory of God. Help us to be on fire and not lay out of sin. Jesus, I pray that we'll be that 
disciple, Christ follower, that makes a difference for God. Thank you, Lord, for these precious people. God, prosper them, bless them. Go with them today as they leave the house of God. Use their lives for the glory of Jesus and bless them. What they put their hand to do, God, I pray you'll prosper them. Lord, help us to win souls for Christ. Help us to make a difference in the life of those who are lost. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 Don't go home before you shake hands with several people. Hug somebody's neck, tell them you love them. You're praying for them. Some of you younger folks go to one of our older folks and tell them you love them, appreciate them. Some of our older folks go to some of you younger folks, tell them you love them and appreciate them. Amen.